Welcome to episode 21 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men, the animated series weekly recap podcast. I'm Rod. You can check me out on all the usual social medias. It's either Rod Kim or Rod Kim Rocks. You'll, you'll find me. And I'm JC, a.k.a. The John Carl on all social media, as well as one half of the founding fathers of Whiskey and Waffles. And today we are joined by... Well, hello. I am the Thomas Jefferson of the Whiskey and Waffles crew, Wally, to be found on social media platforms under the very original name, J.W. W-A-L-L-E. And if you can't find me there, then that means I don't care about TikTok. (laughs) I mean, I don't care about TikTok, but we now say it in every introduction. So Rod has to keep posting on it until those episodes air. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where we are going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series and the original intended script order building up to the release of X-Men 97, which is coming to Disney Plus in 2023, supposedly. So some quick reminders, we're a recap show about a series that came out over 28 years ago. There will be some spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled for you, pause the podcast, watch the episode, and come back. We'll do our best to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes we haven't covered yet. Also, at the time of recording, we've all seen Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. You'll hear this over a month from when it came out, so hopefully it's not a spoiler for you, but if we run into any of that stuff, we'll give a little warning before we jump into anything potentially spoilery about Doctor Strange in case... You waited a month to watch the movie. Also, we're not currently sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus in any way. And we're, I feel like at this point, actively working on not. I think we say enough (laughs) stuff that it's never going to (laughs) happen. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM pod on Instagram, TikTok, just for Rod, Twitter and Facebook. And make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast service. Finally, we record these in batches and obviously not in real time, considering when we just told you we all watch Doctor Strange. But if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, we are definitely a few weeks behind. Before we get into it, Wally, do you want to share anything about yourself as to why you wanted to be on this episode? Or do you want to let it come out as we're, we're going through the moments? Well, Well, let's get into it when we get into it, but just in general, I'd like to talk about what X-Men, the animated series, maybe meant to me as some a little bit of intro context. You know, like a lot of kids our age, this was my first, not introduction to the X-Men, but introduction to the depth of the storytelling of what the X-Men had to offer. And, you know, as a child, like this show was... you my big thing this and batman the animated series and power rangers were my can't miss stuff and this set of episodes specifically represented a milestone moment for me as a human being who enjoys artistic expression so i could not wait to talk about this with you guys that's so cool not to say that these were bad episodes but i think it's like unique because usually people point out things like phoenix saga and stuff as like highlights you know for the series for them yeah for me it's reunion part two (laughs) <laughs> just part two. Just part two. <laughs> Actually hates part one. Yeah, part one is uh, a, a very slow slog to get to where we need to get to. not going to be talking for the first half of this. <laughs> oh, the White Claws come out. White Claws out. Wait, what are you drinking? Oh, this is Woodford Reserve and La Croix Pure. Oh, hey, Woodford Reserve is my go-to as well. I don't drink usually during these because... I can barely keep a memory of two hours, and then there's also technology in front of me. And he has to drive, and I don't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a guest on one episode of this show, so I'm going all out. Yeah. I mean, I I went ham last time I had a mango white gloss. Ooh. Yeah, so if I haven't talked for five minutes, assume that's because I've left the recording studio (laughs) to go into the green room and get another Woodford Reserve LaCroix Pure. Meaning he has gone from the living room to the kitchen, which is about, it's a whole 15 feet. Yeah, and there's not even a wall. Nope. <laughs> I mean, in your heart, there is. I have yelled from the refrigerator before during the podcast. 
<laughs> Anyways, now on to the show. Today we're going to be talking about season two, episodes 12 and 13, titled Reunion. They aired on February 12th and 19th, 1994, and respectively sit at a 7.8 and 8.0 star rating on IMDb. How did the score lower than Mojo Vision? People fucking love Mojo Vision. So, Wally, you were not on the last episode with us. That was an 8.4 on IMDb. Thoughts? Reunion or Mojo Vision? Mojo Vision. Oh, listen. Anything that features Spiral in any way, shape, or form immediately gets like 7.7. You know, I didn't think about the sex appeal factor. Maybe that's what gave the extra point four points. So many arms. <laughs> All these things are true. We we luckily have a character in this episode with multiple arms, too. Different, yeah. different style. Definitely multiple arms. Very different style. So for several episodes now, I'm gonna, it was at the beginning of season two, I guess, that we've seen like little peeks into the Savage Land with Professor Xavier and Magneto. Yeah, since after it was because it was after the wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this entire season, we had one or two episodes where they didn't put the interstitial, but this was the way for the Leewalds and the rest of the writing team to be able to have storyline that extended throughout the entire season because they had been given the edict by the Fox executives that they didn't want a long story similar to what we got season one with Night of the Sentinels all the way till Master Mold, you know, showing he's smarter than racist people. Becoming Wi-Fi. What's really cool about the way that they did this in season two, it basically almost created a situation in an animated series similar to in comics where you'd have backup stories. You know, where you have your main thrust of the issue or episode, but you had something else, you know, kind of tied to the end of it. And the buildup to what you were able to do by doing it that way, instead of just a a sort of a linear serialized story, provided, I think, a little bit of an extra weight to when you actually got to this finale. Like, I just remember real time feeling the sense of, oh, we're finally going to get resolution to this. Like, it's all about this now, as opposed to something where if it weaved in more dramatically, you wouldn't have that immediate sense of like, oh, now it's on the way that this was sort of set up. So I I really loved this structure. Even as a kid, I probably couldn't put it into words back then, but I think that that was a unique and I still very much remember the little interstitials, you know, throughout. Like I don't remember specifics about most of the episodes, but I still very much remember all of the little details of, you know, the the moment Xavier realized he could walk in the moment where they stopped being antagonistic for a little bit and started to actually be the friends that they've always said they were. And you got to see that for real in this. It was exciting. I, I remembered to this day until we did our rewatch of it, Xavier or Magneto throwing the rock at the T-Rex. <laughs> that was still one of my favorites. Yeah. Foreshadowing to some excellent rock throwing professor. Everybody about fucking loves rock throwing. It, and Wally, it's funny you said that you thought like you, we finally got here because that was literally my first note. It's like, are we finally at the Savage Land for, for like an actual episode? And I love it. It sets up, they do a good job of setting up the tone of like where we are because my note here is uh, are we starting off with a ferret getting run off by a T-Rex? Cool. Love dinosaurs. Anyway, Magneto and Xavier are climbing up the side of a cliff. Yeah, I can verify he actually wrote that down. Yep. They're climbing directly up a cliff, which great upper body strength. It's it's a full, like, nine degrees perpendicular up. And they get attacked by three Skyriders. I didn't know that before they said, look, Skyriders. They had not called them Skyriders previously. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't miss that. Don't worry. But basically, these are people on pterodactyls. Is that yeah, they're, they're, they're local warriors who have jumped ship and they're, they're working with the mutates at this point, apparently. And yeah, they're using pterodons as their transport. <laughs> and Professor X is fighting back. He throws a rock and literally kills two birds with one stone. 
because two of them get knocked out. I don't know if that was like you can't say literally or... kills two with one stone when it is a figure of speech and they didn't die. <laughs> oh, they didn't. I mean, I just assume they died. Also, not birds. Skyriders. <laughs> yeah, the pterodons as well as the riders, not just the. So you they, can say not, not the history birds. You could say that Professor X knocked out two skyriders with one mini boulder. Man, this is feeling like a Comic Con interrogation now. <laughs> Are we on a panel? I told you this is what this episode was going to be. I warned you. And then the Magneto like face kicks the third one, gets rid of them. They climb up the side of the cliff and they make it back to the ship where it's snowy because we're in this like weird area where like one side of the cliff is well, it's it's the edge of the, of the Savage Land where yeah. you have the line of here's where paradise starts yeah. and dinosaurs. It's just, it's a cool like little fantasy moment because you go from like tropical like Amazon rainforest thing to just like snow. And three of the mutates that we met earlier confront them, including one new one. And, and Rod, playing our favorite game of all time, who are those characters? So as as promised, John accidentally told me who it was before we were recording, and I said I'd forget, and I genuinely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> Wolfman? I don't know. Well, first off, we see Vertigo, yeah. we see Amphibious, this, we see oh, okay, Barbarous, yeah. and then... The other one is named Lupo, which, Lupo. Wally, did you know that character? Because I can't, to this day, think of seeing Lupo in anything other than these episodes of the animated series. No, I honestly, if I was put into Rod's shoes right now, <laughs> I would have guessed Professor Von Dogfacenstein. It's literally not a character that I that has any memory whatsoever. I assume it's from a comic book somewhere, because everything else is. Right. Well, but not yeah. everything we found out. Yeah, we... <laughs> The, we, we keep referencing the guy from the intro, the little green dude, who's not in anything other than this series. I, He's on Magneto's side in the run-up. Like next to Thunderbird? Yeah, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about because I went through this phase of my own life when I was a teenager being like, who is this? He also makes a cameo in the Slave Island episode, but that's it. Listen, that's, that's lore building. That's that's, well, that's that's what this show is all about. It's not just the comics. It's those little touches that they can bring to it. So they all get in a fight, and it, it ends up in them getting restrained. Vertigo gives them all Vertigo, but somehow they can kind of inexplicably walk. I don't know how Vertigo's powers work. I guess it like kind of cripples them enough to not be able to like attack. It probably hurts. Yeah, but they were they were taken prisoner. Now they will live as slaves and perish as dogs. And it's like, damn, they really, really hate Magneto. It was, they'll either live as slaves or perish as the dogs they are. And that emphasis was from, it was a slight zoom into Amphibious's face as he said it. And I only noticed that because it got grainier and it was definitely a post decision. Yeah, that was not animated to be that way. into yeah. this. They like physically took the camera, take themselves. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, the best way you could describe it is if this was a live action show and this was the actor playing Amphibious wanting to stand out and have more screen time. Yeah. It was yeah. overly dramatic. He did like, it. More We're talking about moment. it. Very more. <laughs> then we cut over to the Blackbird. Cyclops, Gene, Wolverine are listening to a cassette tape <laughs> message from Morph where he's telling them to go to the Branson Theater. They arrive there. The banner says that Xavier Murphy is performing as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I, I get the Xavier <laughs> reference. I don't. I guess Murphy is supposed to be Morph. Is like a, I mean, that's as best a guess as I was going to yeah. have. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know of a Murphy in yeah. X Men lore. So He's, it wasn't Don Murphy, the production partner for Jerry Bruckheimer on all those early <laughs> '90s action movies. Maybe, Maybe that's what it is. 
Something. That was a walk. <laughs> we were on the, around the block and back. So they, they go inside the theater, which is kind of more like a tent. They're like almost like at a circus kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was very carnival-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so traveling circus with its traveling roadshow of, of freaks, so to speak. And there's an actor on stage that's doing a scene from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The X-Men recognize it's morphed because of his voice, and so do most of the audience, I, I feel like. You um, mean the TV audience, not the people the TV, yeah, the in the audience, in the sorry. tent with yeah, them? The TV yes. audience, sorry. The actually the the actual audience they applaud, but for the most part they they almost don't exist. That's kind of why I forgot them. I think it's really <laughs> funny that there is an audience that is seeing this happen to them in person and like we have to take that leap of these are just country bumpkins who think this is a practical effect because this is the same area that it feels like would be the people that would be the most anti-mutant stance possible. Oh, this is the prime recruiting ground for the Friends of Humanity. A hundred percent. The the vibe that I get from watching that is they think this is like wizardry of a normal kind. If they thought for a an instance kind. this was absolutely a mutant, there'd be pitchforks and and those torch things that Indiana Jones would have in a temple. Torches Thrown, torches. <laughs> We're all learning today. Yeah. I don't feel alone today. Uh, but with that practical effect, practical effect, I did appreciate that version of Hyde also looks like the Avengers style villain, which is literally called Hyde, whose real name I think is Calvin Zabo or something like that, Wally. I mean, if I'm not yeah. even going to look at Rod. I, I'm, I will say I definitely recognized it as Marvel's Hyde. Like we, it was a, a yeah. point. To, We've seen it in one of the card sets. Yeah. Yes. It was actually like turning into somebody he may have seen in it, universe. It felt, it felt very like deep cut thing to for the fans. For me, the whole thing, I just was having anxiety over thinking about the reality of if a human being can turn into giant hulking hide, what is the wardrobe budget for this small thing? How, because he just walks off in the broken thing. And yes, I know Morph did it himself. It's a thing, but no one else knows that. Yeah. Like if you're just, you know, Jimmy Bob Joe, who's <laughs> excited about watching this, you know, that's a real thing that he might have to, you know, consider. And maybe that's why he's so excited about it, because of how much production value he, was in this show. He has a really efficient production budget, which is why they'll never cancel his show. There you go. And it keeps confusing the locals. <laughs> <laughs> so he finishes that scene, which I guess was the finale of the one man show. It was a one man show that was about four seconds long. But yeah. yeah. And he, he walks backstage. The X-Men follow Morph, but then we reveal that Sinister is following the X-Men. And the, the poltergeist in your fridge. No, that's called an ice maker. <laughs> I mean, I don't have fancy tech like that. It's, its name is Bobby Drake, okay? <laughs> okay? Keep going. The X-Men tell Morph that they're there to, like, rescue him and stuff. Morph is clearly trying to tell him, like, this is not a safe space and warning them it's a trap. It's too late. He's, he's essentially doing the play dumb act where he's yeah. like, Letting him know, I know who you are, but I can't acknowledge it because you're going to get attacked. Yeah. And he, he's like, he's watching. And also, they already have Professor Xavier and Sinister's henchmen didn't immediately restrain Wolverine. Yep. My my favorite named nasty boy, Gorgeous George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's with what, Hairball? Hairball? Hairball. Hairbag. 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 That's another one. Or is it, or is it Furbag? Furbag. No, it's Hairbag. Hairbag. We, we took a journey on that one too. Oh, are you looking it up? I'm looking up notes from the previous episodes. We was we, we were always saying it was funny that on the same team, like who got the the raw end of the stick is a guy named Hairbag who's on the same team as Gorgeous George. It's Hairbag. 
Hair back. There you go. And we cut back to the Savage Land. Kazar is with his saber-toothed tiger, Zabu. They are following the, the yeah. mutates with Xavier and Magneto. And then they veer off a little bit to find some... I thought they were Triceratops. They call them three horns, something like Th- that. Those are Triceratops. K- Kazar did not go to high school like biology class or have a little picture book with names when he was a yeah. child. The thing for me is like, yeah, okay, Triceratops, it's a scientific name. That's what we have for it. Three horns, it's a simplistic name or whatever. I'm just kind of getting over the fact that this caveman in the Savage Land has the word three. Yeah. And English. And, like, <laughs> that to me is the most, like, it makes sense. But I'm like, yeah, how do you know of three? I don't feel like there are any abacuses here. I kind of want the, the inside, like, of Zabu's head where he's processing all the information and stuff. He's actually the Professor Xavier of that world. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Zabu is... He's too quiet not to be that smart. The <laughs> most intelligent creature in the Savage Lands. Just, based on everything that happened in this episode, I would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, they, that causes a stampede yeah, to they, start. They instigate a stampede to cause a distraction so that Kazar can help Xavier Magneto escape. He's not necessarily trying to help them escape because immediately when the attack happens and he separates them, he like goes at Magneto. Yeah. And he, he yells at Xavier. He's like, I don't know who you are, but why did you bring the devil back here? Like, yeah, the devil, the devil Magneto who enslaved my people. And created mutates, which they've mentioned before, but now we're actually hearing it from, you know, one of the... The locals. And then he reveals that Shanna is his wife. Who in the comics known as Shanna the She-Devil. Oh, okay. Oh, so he he's married to the devil? <laughs> Different devil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that does change the context. <laughs> like, is this another of Magneto's many children? No. Shanna is... I, I think that's the, like, the 70s style of, like, it wasn't just Shang-Chi. It was, like, Shang-Chi, the master of kung fu. And yeah. everybody had, like, the subtitle to their name. That's true. Oh, yeah, Magneto, the master of magnetism. Like, Luke, Luke Cage, power man. <laughs> so... We put together that Shanna was the woman that was captured in the previous episode, Stinger, by Sauron, because he says that my wife was captured by Sauron. So unless he's talking about somebody else we didn't see, then that's who she was. Xavier puts it together as yeah. well. <laughs> so they, they put together a plan to free Kazar's people. Then we cut back to Sinister. Cyclops and Jean get caught. Cyclops just goes berserk again. He starts taking everyone down. And once he singles out Sinister, he goes ham on him like he did in the previous episode. He's the only one that can really hurt him. Yeah, there's something with his optic blast that just does more damage to Sinister than seemingly anything else. Yeah. Which feels like is maybe even part of, or at least that's how I always took it, as part of why Scott was of the two that he needed to have to help create. Like, Gene, you, you kind of follow the a very powerful telepath. You get all the Phoenix stuff in there, the, the potential power in that DNA. But... You know, Scott doesn't have anything other than just I'm an action figure, good guy hero. <laughs> he and, yells at everybody. Yeah, he and, loves yelling at people. And having the physical attacks on Sinister being the most effective with Scott's optic blast mm-hmm. is a really nice way to express that the power is at a higher level. Like the, you get Wolverine literally slicing, you know, pieces out of him, and it's just instantly healed up. Yeah. But you know, Scott being able to do a thing, and then obviously, you know, in the resolution of this episode and how he's able to, the two of them able to take care of that threat really just underlines a thing that in the comics you can say because of 30 years of history leading up to Sinister and, and why he would want this, this bloodline as like this master, best utopian mutant connection. But in the comic or the show, you don't get 
the time to do that. So I love how they were able to show that with, because otherwise it's just a, a, a force blast. It's not yeah. even like heated. It's just a push. And the fact that that has that level of impact underlines that sort of story important. Yeah. It turns him to goo. Like it, it like it like literally is blasting through his body. Yeah. So. And he, he's like actually grimacing at it and like he's in pain. Like other ones, he's just kind of like, oh, oops. Then your favorite character, Ruckus, stops everything by screaming again. Yeah, and Wolverine gets, escapes out of all that screaming stuff. There's the, we were just talking about this, how there's like a lot of like a back and forth fight. It's kind of inconsequential. It's, it's, a, it's a cool little fight, but a lot of just, they almost get caught, they don't. Yeah, and then we have another moment where Morph uses his ability to transform. He swaps into to Gene and you know, that, that gives enough of a moment for a distraction, which is where Sinister, the Nasty Boys, and taking Gene as their hostage, you know, they're able to to yeah, get them out of there. More like because he turns into Gene, like knocks Wolverine out. Had that really good one-liner where Wolverine going to save Gene Gray said, "You grabbed the wrong girl, bub," yeah. <laughs> and Morph's cackles like, "Nope," and turns back into Morph, and it's just like. That was good. That was a good. I one like that yeah. one. That was. That oh, and we just probably clarify at this point, Sinister is kind of like taking control of Morse's mind, so that's why he's not on the X Men side in this particular yeah. fight because that also goes back and forth. A physical thing inside yeah. him, not like the yeah. Vertigo or the Sauron kind of mind control stuff that also happens in no. this episode. Physical but implant. A physical yeah. implant that shines brightly from underneath his skin when it's activated. I yeah. mean, that's how I control people. <laughs> I, I want the I want the other people around to see the little like buzzing light to know I'm controlling them. <laughs> What's in this drink? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask, just keep drinking. Okay. <laughs> That'll get taken out of context. Yeah. Cyclops, they won't clip that one out for Instagram. <laughs> Right. So Disney, we yeah. are a <laughs> available to be sponsored podcast only on season two. Cyclops, yeah. Cyclops, Clarps, yeah. you're not allowed to take that out in the yeah. edit. <laughs> Cyclops starts blasting the sky, just kind of randomly. He's still berserking. He hits the ship a little, but not enough. It gets away. It's a lot of like not continuous blast. It's yeah. just like kind of like like so la- almost like laser. It felt weird. It didn't look. Or feel like the normal right. Cyclops. I feel like Cyclops should just keep his eyes open and just start waving his head wildly <laughs> because he's bound to hit something. That is A, the mechanics of his powers and B, what he does in the comics sometimes. Like one of the most um, iconic images of Cyclops is ah, like holding down. I'm, I'm doing a physical thing on an audio podcast. We do it it's, all the time. Yeah, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> and looking up in the sky and it's just an endless beam. There's a moment, I don't remember if it's this exact scene or somewhere else, in, but in these two episodes where he, I think it might even been the scene because he wasn't in costume. His glasses were off uh-huh. and he was doing the beams, but it was it was that weird scatter beam. Yeah. And you see like the eyes, like not like eyeballs, like black like, like, like spots where it should be going. <laughs> but I'm like, this that's not how these powers work. It's an endless stream. It should I, keep going. For what this put this weird maybe because I'm old, I just put this weird thought in my head. If the DC movie makers decided to make like the X-Men movie. No, stop. Don't even manifest that. The, the dark the I'm gonna hit you. Keep going. They would do like the dark and gritty X-Men. And so, like, instead of actually seeing the cool X-Men story that's fun that we want to see, we'd actually see a whole movie about people filing class action lawsuits against Cyclops for downed planes and killed birds and stuff. I want to see the damage control (laughs) movie that covers that, to be totally honest. The scope of the powers of the X-Men. Storm, 
she's stopping Apocalypse from taking over the world, creates a tornado to come knock out 10 of his henchmen. Also, that tornado then goes that way and knocks over 10 houses and has $10 million of property damage. So, Wally, to your point, there is an earlier episode. It's the Juggernaut episode in the first season. She literally picked up a building, (laughs) a full building, and dropped it on the Juggernaut. The insurance is not covering that. I'm just saying I understand why the government is a little skeptical of humans. And then there was the episode about the mutant virus, the technovirus, yep. where Storm is rescuing Jubilee, and they could have run out the doors of the mall that they were in, but she breaks a skylight to escape instead of just walking out the door. Also, just anytime Storm like lightly uses powers, there's lightning. Yeah, lightning strikes things. <laughs> it is terribly destructive. It could have knocked out power during surgery. It could have killed a little bug. That bug didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I was waiting to see where you were going to go because you were not intending on saying bug there. And you you made that call on the fly. <laughs> because I feel like if it killed a person, we would have seen it. Like, these are pretty decent. I don't know anymore. No, d- dude. So there, there are some of the earlier episodes where Magneto attacks the power plant. People definitely suffocated from poison gas. And they just kind of like coughed and fell over, but are never rescued or gotten out of there. People died. Also, the number of times that there's fights in a city where buildings are leveled, and we never address what happens to the people in those buildings, because unless we're just assuming that the rapture happened and no one's in any of the buildings in like two or three city blocks. <laughs> don't don't you know that all of this happens on Sundays? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, everyone's at home. <laughs> Except for when they're in the suburbs, it's Tuesday and everyone's at work. All these fights take place at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Sundays. <laughs> okay, anyway. I gotta go back to where, where was my minutes. Back to the Savage them. Land. Oh yeah, Savage we're, land. we're back at the Savage Land. Sorry, we had, we went on a long walk on a tangent. Had to walk all the way back. All right, so we're back at Savage Land. They're on a little tiny raft going to the Citadel because like, they're crossing the moat or whatever. And Professor, I would, I would call that more of a, like a lake, and they're in the middle of the lake. That's not a moat. Okay, that's a that's way too damn big to be a yeah. moat. That, that's well, that, that's a, a a fortress on a tiny island in the middle of a lake. So I thought that until and here in a little bit we'll discuss what kind of changed my mind a little bit about that. But while they're having a conversation, Professor Xavier is like, you know, Magneto, why did you do all this stuff? Or Kazar is like, you, you know, all this bad stuff happened since you left because you created the mutates. And Magneto's like, well, I had good intentions. You know, I had good ambitions. And Professor Xavier just kind of comes back with this exact quote. Unfortunately, Magneto, the ambitions of powerful men usually bring strife and misery to those that they would improve. Also, I'd just like to point out that if you can have a conversation in which you can get really deep in your quoting, not a moat. <laughs> so they get attacked by the, the water dinosaur. And then Kazar, he, they don't, it's not even a fight. He like dino whispers. Yeah, he, he makes a noise and it runs off. He basically. does the Xena warrior princess thing. Yeah. And then I want to say like you see like a weird thing in the eyes yeah. or something and it's just now their friend yeah so then the thing that like made me wonder if this is how big of body water this is is they kind of seem to walk or lightly swim to shore so it's like how deep is this? like it didn't seem like they needed the raft for a little while but i don't know i haven't done that i can't swim either so. moats would be deeper rod okay i will i will say this about the continuity of the depth of this part of the lake yeah is when the plesiosaur... If everybody can see the video of the winking happening on either side. So the plesiosaur, as it comes out of the water, its head comes down to attack. Yes. When Kazar comes back up, you see the body standing in its head down, and that's what he jumps up on, and then it comes back up. So not intentionally. Yeah. But they kind of accidentally perfectly 
topographed the area <laughs> where it is shallower towards the citadel and gotcha. deeper towards the middle and that the plesiosaur came up at the middle and then because water is a mobile surface they moved closer to the citadel Not in america it stays the same <laughs> the point is there's a really great <laughs> shot of the plesiosaur's body with its head down and kazar just kind of jumping up on the top of it that out of context makes no sense whatsoever yeah, it's fun it's a water dinosaur fight so, <laughs> so, so they find a secret passage yes they find the secret passage magneto knows exactly where it is because once again this was his domain before they go through the secret tunnel but the mutates ambush them because they knew they were coming and knew about the secret passage. Which before. should not be a shock to anybody, considering if they've been living in this thing for years with Magneto, or at least a few months with Magneto gone, they would have explored it. And Kazar and Zabu. Just, literally, literally they just, literally just fuck off. Yeah, they're just like, nope. <laughs> it's not just that. They literally announce, let's return and figure out a different way to yeah. attack, and then just run and jump, jump off the, the balcony. <laughs> into the water and Xavier and Magneto are just sort of like uh and then we meet who is the weirdest character which is Brainchild I have a question please Brainchild yes I need I I don't know the answer to this okay and I and I hope either you guys do or can provide me an answer I will put money that Rod will not (laughs) Brainchild is a small in stature but large in head character Mm -hmm. that is theoretically very smart and has a goatee and he's balding. Is this a child <laughs> whose brain has grown so big that his head has grown up faster, so it can have baldingness and a goatee, but yet still the frame of a body? Because that's kind of the child part of it. Or is this a man who has, like Modoc put his, he's a big head in a floaty thing. Yeah. This is a big head on a kid body. Like it's a part of it. that's his delivery mechanism for his brainness. Which is it, Rod? You go first, please. Well, so this is, has nothing to do with the comics, but just based on my like personal experience with friends that are like shorter and stuff. Totally a grown ass man that has just his personality has compensated for being made fun of his entire life for being small in stature. Because <laughs> like I have a friend that I won't name them, but they work very prominently in sound and audio and concerts and stuff. And they someone every gig makes fun of their height at some point. And so, instead of something like, oh, you should move this kick drum mic to the left or whatever. And he, he has these one-liners and they always, they shut it down. I remember specifically, we were setting up sound for like a Christian concert. And someone's like, can you move the mic over a little bit? And he's like, I don't slap the dick out of your mouth when you're working. So just let me do my fucking job. Super Christian. <laughs> But no one bothered him for the rest of the day. So, anyway, so I think he's an adult that's had to deal with shit for his whole life. So that's why he's like the way he is. Do you think he's even like super powered in any way? Or he's just got a mean streak? And Mr. Sanderson's like, I like that attitude. I, well, I think his superpower is being ultra dramatic. <laughs> so I think this is very similar to the villain that comes out of Green Lantern, where it was somebody who was a little more normal. And through the mutate process that Magneto put into place, it shrunk their body, grew their head, and thus the brain is because it oversized their head, meaning they got smarter from it. Mm, it's like a real monkey's paw. And I don't remember the name of the character from Green Lantern, so don't ask me. I like both of these answers. Unfortunately, I believe the correct answer is this is a Hercules scenario. And he was a super genius 
who another character was very upset at the existence of said super genius. So he sent two minions to the child super genius and fed him a dumbing down spell potion. But he didn't drink all of it. So his head stayed big and super geniusy, <laughs> but his body became very childlike. Was this in the legendary journeys? This is not a Kevin Sorbo reference. Okay. This is a Michael Bolton reference. Now I'm more confused. Let's Same. move on. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, we will explore that later after the recording is done, though. <laughs> so that's a different kind of podcast. So then Sinister arrives with Gene, kind of yells a brainchild for being dumb. And then we get the acknowledgement that Sinister is the master, because up until that point, we were actually speculating, and the characters were too, that Sauron was possibly the master. Yeah, considering he has kind of like mind-controlling hypnosis powers, and he's just very ominous. He hasn't said anything yet. And then... Sinister reveals that using a sample from Sauron, they don't specify exactly what, but probably best we don't know, that they... they <laughs> you take it to the nth degree, anytime there's something with DNA, there's DNA from stuff outside of that, Rod. I didn't go there. Your head had to be there. There's living organic <laughs> shackles on these people. Yep. And then talking about retrieving DNA from people. I'm not, not on Rod's side. <laughs> There's a reason that one of our most popular Instagram reels is Rod screaming about the dick of Cyclops being where the tentacle was going. Because it had teeth on it, and he was like, I need your DNA to continue this bloodline. So where does your head go, right? He has a cylindrical tentacle with teeth, and he's like, I need to extract. Keep going, Rod. Keep going. (laughs) Anyway, so he uses a sample from Sauron to make this machine that takes away mutant powers while you're in the Savage Land, unless you're wearing the magic belt which is just a MacGuffin. They don't explain. It's like, you're wearing this belt, you still got your powers. Kind of the like opposite of the, the Slave Island necklaces, collars. because those are the collars that stop you from having powers when you're wearing it. These are the, you keep your powers <laughs> when wearing it. And Sinister, because of the mind control device that he implanted in Morph's head, he, 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 it looks like he kind of senses that he's gonna do something. So he, he locks him up and like controls him as well. Yeah, Morph tries to fight back and it gets shot down pretty quickly. And Sinister reveals he wants Professor Xavier to contact the X-Men and lure them to the Savage Land. He won't do it, or he says he won't. Obviously. So they brought they bring Sauron in to hypnotize him. Professor Xavier resists for a little bit. and Yeah, they say he resists like no other. Can we just point out, though, how dumb of an idea that is? They would go anywhere to save Professor X. Mm-hmm. Why not just say, hey, X-Men, I got Professor X at this location. Because the trap isn't the location. The yeah. trap is they don't know that their powers don't work here. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason for them to know that their powers don't work here. Just get them there. Yeah. The only th- reason why using Professor, I think, still works contextually here is because the X-Men don't know if they're fighting one villain with Sinister who's also involved in the gene kidnapping or if it's two separate threats at the same time. That is the only reason I can think of that that makes that make sense. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but if I had to pull the logic, that's what my guess would be. Uh, uh, that's actually a very logical explanation that so I can- So definitely means it's wrong. <laughs> 100% means it's, it's, it's factually inaccurate, but I will grant you, I buy that. So just based on how Xavier passes out, we kind of get an implication that it, it didn't work. But then we cut to the X-Mansion. The rest of the X-Men get a video message from Professor Xavier, and he's got like this dead expression 
deadpan expression, yeah. not dead expression. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's, it's, anyway, I, I use a reference. I've used this reference too many times, but it's a very get out demeanor of like, come to the savage land. The message stops and... Well, to be clear, he gives coordinates. He doesn't yeah. actually say it's the savage land. They don't know what the savage land he is. He says that these coordinates, and I guess they're just embedded in the message because he doesn't physically say them, but they all reference that the message can be tracked. They put him in with After Effects. Yeah. <laughs> it's a subtitle it's with the coordinates on there. And I wrote them down because they don't mean anything. It was 75 Southwest and 139 East. Ooh, somebody... That's just weather and time. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, in Phoenix, it's this temperature at this time. That's what this was. Someone's going to look it up, and it's like one of the showrunners, like, like X's. No, I'm pretty like sure that. it literally is just a point in Antarctica. Okay. <laughs> What's interesting about all this, though, is, is you said something that like it might not have worked all that well on him because he was struggling mm-hmm. much more than anyone else. I always read it as an ineffective brainwash, that he said the things but didn't actually mean them or, or was fighting back with it because he was so deadpan on it that like beast immediately is like his emotionalist demeanor makes me think that he is under some sort of control yeah, yeah. like they that was that felt like professor x fighting back because everyone else that's been under some oh, sort of yeah, yeah. like mind control they act normal. At, at the at the peak moment of the control yeah they act normal and then when they come out of it is when they start fighting back but the, I always took it as, you know, Professor X is so strong, the best you can get out of him is an emotionless that's a good point. regurgitation of some yeah. words. Yeah. I, I totally agree with okay. you on that. It's because of how well he fought back that they were just like, well, it's going to be a shitty message at best, so let's just send it to get him to come down here anyway. All the more reason to think just send him a postcard that says this is where <laughs> Professor X is because they were always just going to come yeah. guns wielding because this is the X-Men. It's like, wish you were here. We get a really cool moment too there at the end though where so the, the X-Men that are getting that message it's it's basically all the X-Men we haven't seen yet yeah. save for Jubilee who's just nowhere to be found anywhere. And the She's at the mall. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, the chili, chili dog. Chili fries. <sighs> I'm just going to leave. Bye guys. <laughs> but so it's, it's like Beast and Gambit and Rogue all mm-hmm. like oh what's going on this Professor? Then as this is happening, Scott Wolverine show back up from their fight, and there's this great, like, classic Scott runs in, and Beast is going to Scott, and they're like, we need to talk, and it's like this cool ending stinger to that whole yeah. bit. And to what John was saying was about, even though they knew it was a trap, I think it was Wolverine that said, even if it's a trap, they still need to help, so they don't really have a choice. They gotta do it. It'd be great if they were like, this is a trap, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna <laughs> yeah. save him. Fuck him. Yeah, I don't know. It's very. It feels very trappy <laughs> over here. Do we need a Professor X? It's been like 12 right. episodes. Yeah, we've yeah. we've gone at least a few weeks without a professor. It's been pretty good around here. Yeah, he's a telepath. He can communicate. We haven't had to do any danger room training while he's gone. <laughs> With an exception of Mojo. That's not a danger room. But, but at least it was themed. I'm going to th- get I, fun with it. Wasn't wasn't there a danger room training in the externally yours episode that Gambit was messing up? There was. That put Scott in the hospital? <laughs> yeah, but we like that one. <laughs> So anyway, the Blackbird descends into the mist, and that's when the to be continued happens. Except not for you. You're in here now. And then we start up part two, which is Wally's favorite part. So now he's going to start talking. They they were at the Citadel. Sinister has taken. He's taking prisoners to the dungeon, like all the the various X Men he's taken so far, and Magneto. While we wait on the rest of the X Men to. You arrive. made that take so much longer than just saying the names of the four people. Yes. <laughs> The Blackbird lands, they find Professor Xavier's crash jet. Sorry, before you get to that, I hate cutting you off, but I don't hate cutting you off. Sinister reemphasizes a little bit of his plan and basically says, you're all going to live on 
in the army of super mutants, basically saying, I'm going to take your DNA and I'm going to make even tougher versions of you. You're all screwed, but you will you will have a legacy. That's that's a good thing, right? Everybody wants a legacy. This is our legacy, so we're fucked. Mr. Sinister is basically making an army of Deadpools from X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, there you go. Wow. Keep going, Rob. And that's how we learn about eugenics as 10-year-olds. Oh, my God. The connections between X-Men and Star Trek are fierce. Literally in the Mojo Vision episode, we talked about the fact that you have McCoy on the Star Trek parody mini thing. Thank you guys for joining us for part one of the reunion. We're actually going to turn this into a two-part episode just because we had way more than what we were expecting to chat about on this one. So we went a little bit long and instead of giving you a two-hour podcast, we're just going to fill it over the course of two weeks. Thanks.